Like I said in the beginning, if I have not yet met you, my name is Adam. I am the pastor here at Citizens Church. And um, if, I, if I seem to be coughing a little bit, it's not because I have COVID or anything like that. But we were at a soccer game last night and we yelled a little bit. Um, and so that, that, that's why. But do you remember what we were talking about last week as we jumped into the book of Acts and we saw um, Acts chapter 19? What was our main point? Our main idea was that our need for Jesus outmatches our need for anything else, right? That it is our need for Jesus, that it was both John's disciples who were baptized in John's baptism, not the baptism of Jesus and the Spirit. It was them who needed Jesus. But then we also see the demon possessed in the town that needed Jesus as well. And as a riot erupted in Ephesus, we see that all throughout the city, the need is Jesus. For the people that are rioting, for the people that are falling down in worship, the need is Jesus. And so for those of us in here this morning, what is our need? Jesus. I kind of say it like this. What is the prescription for the gospel? It is, it is Jesus. Like this morning, we are in need of good news of the gospel, and what we need in here this morning is Jesus. So with that in mind, let's turn to Acts chapter 20. I think you're going to be very encouraged today. And all of Acts chapter 20, and we're not going to do the entire chapter, I promise you that, but like I said, you have to wait till the end for your rocker's ticket so you can't leave, even if we go over a little bit. But all of chapter 20 is basically Paul saying his goodbyes to the groups of people in the cities that he has been to. And guys, the mission... <laughs> is global. In Acts chapter 20, it talks about Paul going to all these different cities and saying goodbye to all these different people. And for instance, we have Macedonia and Philippi. We have Greece. We have Syria. Then he goes back to Macedonia. Then we have Troas. And then we get to where we're at in chapter 20 today when Paul comes to Miletus. And so Paul has been traveling around in chapter 20. And he is saying his goodbyes to the churches that he has planted, to the disciples that he has strengthened, to the apostles that he's left behind in these cities to strengthen those churches and those disciples. And here we pick up where Paul summons the Ephesian elders together and gives them his farewell. You see, Paul is not in Ephesus, but what he does, and we'll read about this, he summons the elders to come to him in Miletus. And what Paul will share here is meant for them specifically. It is meant for those who are on the forefront of the gospel mission and in a world that is still just waiting in the shallow end of the gospel pool. This is the only speech in the book of Acts that is spoken directly to believers. All the other speeches, all the other uh, um, sermons and messages have been spoken to both Christians and unchristians alike, non-Christians, the pagans in this city. However, right here we know that Paul is speaking directly to the elders. And this is what the speech is. It is, it is a speech of remembrance. It is a speech of reminder. It is a speech of relationship. And here is the basis for Paul's speech to them. Okay, If you're writing notes, write this down. This is the basis of the speech. That the mission of God does not need me. It needs us. The mission of God does not need me. It needs us. Now don't Jesus juke me. What do I mean by this? You were a part of the us. So yes, the mission does require you. It does require me. But what Paul's speech is going to show the Ephesian elders is that the gospel mission that has started and will not end does not rest and fall and rise on the shoulders of Paul alone. 
that the gospel mission is not on this hinge where it's as if Paul leaves, then the mission stops. What he is going to encourage them in this morning is that the mission doesn't need me. It needs us. Kobe Bryant uh, famously said one time that there's no I in team, but there is a me in it. Now, Kobe can drop 60 points at a you know, drop of a dime. So we're, but today we are talking about that there is no I in team. There is no, all we need is Adam here. I mean, for instance, we're, we're planning for the fall, guys. Can you believe that Christmas is only four months away? I know. That's right. Get the pumpkin spice ready. I mean, yeah, it is already out, actually. So, for example, for the fall, we are gearing up for trunk or treat. Now, what if we said, hey, we only need my trunk. We don't need your trunk. We need my trunk. Trunk or treat rises and falls on whatever trunk Emily will decorate seven months, eight months pregnant. That's stupid, right? I think for trunk or treat, we would say, oh, we need multiple trunks. And we're not signing up today, so don't freak out. But I'm looking at all of you. We're going to need multiple trunks. Well, what about let's just take this church? I mean, did we plant Citizens Church 17 months ago with the vision of, hey, there ain't nothing happening in Kernersville, and Jesus is lucky that Citizens Church popped up. No, guys. The mission of the church is to be a communal body, that it takes many churches and many pastors and many services that look different and many different songs. Guys, the message that Paul is going to be addressing to the Ephesian elders is that it doesn't require me and me alone. It requires us. And so if you're taking notes, you might jot down, the mission of God doesn't require me. It's not on you. It's on us. And thank God you are part of that us. Paul has been training, teaching, and setting an example of what a life poured out for Jesus looks like. And now as he leaves, he has to give this farewell address to these elders Because, of course, there is a sense of what is this going to be like once you leave. And it's not just once you leave and come back. Literally, we will get to it. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I will never see you again. I will never see you again. And we we know that Paul would be killed by the state just a few chapters from now. And so it's not just, Paul, what are we going to do till you return? The the, the, uh, tension in the air is, what do you mean we're never going to see you again? And Paul is going to set the stage that it's not dependent on him alone, but that through the Spirit, the Lord uses them collectively. And so with that, here we go. Acts chapter 20. Let's start in verse 17, because like I said, the first 16 verses, Paul is traveling around to these different cities, different places, saying his goodbyes. But as we get to verse 17, we see the farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plot of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything 
that was profitable were from teaching you publicly from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Four things that we see in this passage this morning that the mission requires, and it takes all of us. Number one is this. The mission requires gospel-inspired intentionality. The mission requires gospel-inspired intentionality. Here Paul gives us the intentionality that he shows us twofold. Number one, our intentionality looks like being with people. Paul said, I never neglected to be with you. From the very beginning, I was with you, and you remember my tears. You remember my struggles. You remember when the Jews plotted against me and beat the life out of me. From the moment I sat here, I was with you. And folks, when we are on mission, our eyes go to people that are in need of a Savior. I can remember that when I became a Christian at the age of 15, um, I essentially was taught that I need to drop my high school friends. That if they were doing the party thing and you know, they were doing things that, that weren't church appropriate or Christian appropriate, that I should just stay away from them. And I did. Like, I, I remember graduating high school realizing that all these people that I went to school with every day, I, I really have no relationship with. Because my method of discipleship was good Christians do this, and bad Christians do this. And I want to be a good Christian. And I was so close to get, I was so scared to get close to those people that I didn't even care about them. Literally, I, I think about it all the time. Um, I saw this guy, I, I work at a local coffee shop, like not brewing coffee, but working on sermons and stuff. And I remember I saw this guy from my high school that I have not seen in years. And we weren't even really that close in high school, but we knew each other. And of course, the pleasantries, you know, arise of like, hey, what's up? How are you been, man? It's, it's, it's been a while. Like our 10-year high school reunion is happening this year. And uh, I know. I know, Joe, you just went to what, your 40th? Or, no, okay. <clears throat> I love that man. But I was talking to him in the coffee shop, and uh, I said, yeah, you know, I'm a pastor in Kernersville. He said, you're a pastor? He said, I would have never pegged you for that. I was like, huh. Well, I led FCA all three years, but honestly, like, that's, it, it, it really hit me. Like, who, who cares? Because I neglected all these people. Paul's intentionality here is, don't forget, I was with you from the very beginning. I was with you. Our intentionality looks like being with people. Paul established the elders in this church to carry out the mission, the mission that communally, after he departs, would continue to go on. Guys, as we meet with people and as we're intentional with people, you don't have to know all the answers, but you know how you can really just strengthen and encourage people who are far from the Lord? Draw out of them what God is trying to draw out of them. This is just a side note. This isn't in my, in my notes, but as I'm just thinking through this, I'm thinking about all the people that we come into contact with, and it's not that they just have all these, ans these questions that won't have answers, but I believe a lot of people in our society today, especially the people that you interact with, don't know what's inside of them that God is trying to draw out. Like as Paul established these elders, there was a moment that these guys weren't elders. And what were the conversations like? As Paul said, hey, I am going to be gone, and when I am gone, you are going to carry forth the mission with these people. 
Paul was drawing out of them leadership, drawing out of them life, drawing out of them that there is more for you. He didn't just stick to the Jews in the temple that, well, they were trying to kill him anyway, so why would he? He went to the people of the city and he spoke life into them. And now his intentionality has led to the establishment of elders. Speak life into people. Draw that out of them. So not only does his intentionality look like people, but his intentionality also looks like solid teaching. In verse 21, what did he say? That I testified, taught of the repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Our intentionality with people only goes as far as we will go with the gospel. That Paul was intentional in teaching them solid doctrine. That it wasn't five steps to become an elder. It was this is who the Messiah is. This is who Jesus is. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. And then all these things started bursting forth. Paul was intentional with what he taught. So that as he leaves and as people, other teachers, false teachers, creep in, as Paul's going to say in a moment, the elders of this church could shepherd these people and teach them, no, 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 no. That is contrary to the gospel. That is contrary to Jesus. Intentionality looks like solid teaching. We have the hope of the world. And as we work with folks, go to school with them, we share the best news ever, and we point to a better way and testify of what the Lord has done in our life. It is the gospel-inspired intentionality that leads us to this. Just the other week in community group, uh, my community group meets at my house, and, and we just went around the living room for 45 minutes and just kind of just open mic, share our stories. And it was pretty fascinating because, you know, the, the people in my community group I've, I've known for a little while now, but when you hear someone's story of, like, this is who I was before Jesus and, and like, this is where I grew up and this is what it was like, man, it just reminded me how powerful our story is. And it reminded me that this gospel inspiration, that, that, that people are in need of good news. And the gospel inspires us to share our story with one another. That it inspires us to be intentional with them and just being around them. But then also just sharing this story of, man, this is who I was and this is what Jesus has done in our life. As Paul leaves, he has established this church and these elders in healthy teaching and doctrine. And it's because of the gospel. It's because of the good news of Jesus that he is able to do this. But then, this is what that doctrine leads to. Let's keep reading Acts 20 and verse 22. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what, will I, what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself, my purpose, my purpose is to finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Guys, the mission does not only require gospel-inspired uh, intentionality, but the mission requires spirit-led direction. Spirit-led direction. We talked about this last week, right? That we are people of the Spirit. That's what makes us Christians, that God is not far off, but that God is so close by his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, directing us where to go. The Spirit is inspiring Paul to travel back to Jerusalem to face what he calls the unknown. And the only thing that is known, 
is that he will be met with chains and problems. Why does Paul say, as I leave, I will never see you again? Because he's about to be in trial. <laughs> and for about three chapters as in, in the back half of Acts, we read of the trial of Paul and these men that are trying to take his life. He knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. And he says, I don't know what it all looks like, but the Spirit has told me. And how the Spirit told Paul this, we don't really know. But the Spirit told him that you will be met with change. You will be met with struggle. And our prayer here this morning is that we don't want to make a move without the Lord's guidance. We don't want to make one move, one decision, without the Lord saying, this is what you are to do. But how do we get there? What do we do with that? Well, I think the secret sauce is found in verse 24. Let's reread it. It'll be on the screen. But I consider myself, my life, of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. How do we get to this point that we are leave, uh, leading and living a spirit-led life when we recognize that our life belongs to the Lord? Now, this isn't a call to not care about yourself. This isn't a call to, to live foolishly. It's a call to live sacrificially. I mean, Paul himself, when his life was in jeopardy in the different cities, I mean, he was the guy that was escaping in a basket through the window. It's not that Paul is just saying, you know, whatever happens to me happens. No, he was intentional about what he did, the moves he made as the Spirit led him to city to city. But what he is saying that as people that have come into a relationship with Jesus, we understand that that relationship requires sacrifice. And guess what? It doesn't start with your sacrifice. Jesus, through the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus would sacrifice his body, would sacrifice his blood, so that you could be in right relationship with God. That is the good news of the gospel. And Paul is recognizing that this sacrifice that the Lord has given to me and for me allows me to now live as a living sacrifice where I can go to Jerusalem as the Spirit is directing me. And even though I know that chains are going to meet me there because the Spirit will not lie, I can go, go in full assurance. The Moravians had this quote from the picture in the book of Revelation. The Moravians kind of coined this phrase that may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Paul is saying in verse 24, the lamb was slain for my behalf. And because of that, it's not that I think less of myself, but I think of myself less. And I travel on to Jerusalem. And I don't live foolishly, I live sacrificially. And I go knowing that the Spirit is directing me, that the mission requires me to go even if I am met with opposition. You do have value. Paul is not saying that you don't. But it's because of who called you and has given you life that we can give our life for this. In, in fact, let's don't turn there, it'll be on the screen. But Paul would actually say this in Philippians 3. As he gets to Acts, right, and he's, he's, he's planted the church in Philippi, and, and Lydia and others are leading that church. He would write uh, the, the letter back to the Philippians, and he would say this in verse 3. And I think it goes right along with verse 24, what he just said. This is what it says. If anyone thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Because I was circumcised the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the, the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. And in verse 10, pay attention to this. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his what? Sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul is living in this spirit-inspired direction because he has recognized who he was before Jesus and who he is now. He can say, he can say in verse 24 that I don't count my life as any value not because he doesn't have value. All men and women created in the image of God have value. We know that. We stand for that. But in light of everything that he had, he calls it crap compared to what Jesus has given him now. And what did Paul say in verse 10 in Philippians 3? My life's call now is to be conformed to his sufferings. Guys, we are attached to a suffering Lord. Like, yes, Jesus is reigning high in, in, in majesty right now. But he still has nail-scarred hands. We serve a sacrificed lamb. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Paul is saying the spirit is leading me to Jerusalem, even in chains, because that is who my Lord is. Because you know who went to Jerusalem first? Jesus. Before Paul ever traveled to Jerusalem to be put in chains, Jesus went before him and was put in chains, was put on the cross. And now Paul is telling us and telling his readers, guys, this is our life now to be conformed to him, even if that means suffering. And so my question for you this morning is really, what are you giving your life to? What are you conforming yourself with? There's a great pull in our lives, is there not? There's the great pull to make more money, to get higher on the ladder, to be more religious, to have more status. And Paul's answer to this question of what are you giving your life to, it's clear. Making Jesus known to all people is why Paul is going back to Jerusalem. Guys, I, I wrote this down in my notes, and, and this is for, for me. I'm asking myself this, so maybe, maybe you know the answer, but I'm just going to ask myself out loud. Adam, are you willing to give up the comforts and the longings of this world for the sake of mission? Guys, sometimes I am so scared to share Jesus with people. Like, it is so uncomfortable for me. <laughs> There's been so many times that when people say, like, oh, you're a pastor, yeah, like, this is, this is what I do. Guys, it's almost like it's expected to be like, oh, are you a Christian? I mean, they're talking to a pastor, so it's not like they're going to be like, how dare you? You know, it's, it's, it's like, but, but I'm just like, yeah, I'm a pastor and our church is over there. Did you see that game last night? Guys, sometimes it is so hard for me because I'm uncomfortable. And sometimes I can be awkward, and sometimes I say things that I don't filter, 
And I need this reminder (laughs) that I am being conformed. (laughs) I am being conformed into the image of a Savior who suffered, and he suffered on a cross, guys. And Lord, help me just share you in the coffee shop. (laughs) But if you're like me, and maybe you find yourself in that boat, maybe you're like, yeah, like, (laughs) what I'm giving my life to is, is not that. You might be encouraged in this next section, verse 25. Let's continue reading in Acts 20. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Thank you, Paul. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. In verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from even your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And you may be asking, Adam, how is that encouraging? Well, it's encouraging because the third thing that we see is that the mission requires kingdom-inspired confidence. Kingdom-inspired confidence. As Paul leaves this church, he leaves them knowing false teachers will come behind him with teachings and doctrine that can derail the church. He knows that. He knows that men are going to rise up in the city. He knows that. And as he speaks to the elders, we recognize that the call of the elder is not to be at all events, lead all meetings, and cast perfect vision. The call of the elder is to defend the flock of God that they have been put in charge of. That is the role of pastor. Soul care. And so there's confidence in the mission, kingdom-inspired confidence. Because as Paul uses this imagery of wolves showing up, he also calls these men shepherds. And this imagery, while you and I may not see a lot of sheep roaming in Kernersville with shepherds, This imagery would have thrown out red flags and and, and light bulbs for the people reading this and the people listening to Paul's message. Nothing is more susceptible to death like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. But the people here know, oh, what is a shepherd? Well, yeah, shepherds are like dirty and they can kind of be crooked in our society, but shepherds are tough. And shepherds, a good shepherd, literally as sheep go into the, the, the pen, as they would bring them into the city for the night, shepherds would literally lay as the gate so that anything that was coming out had to literally walk over them and anything that was coming in had to go through them as well. They would literally lay as the gate. And so as you read this, that you are to shepherd the flock, that you are to care for the flock, yes, there's this sense of wolves are coming, Paul. That's not that encouraging. But it is encouraging that Paul has set up this church to say, look, you are shepherds. And you know the truth, and you know the Spirit is guiding you, and we have an example. I mean, I just wonder if someone in this congregation heard that somewhere this man named Jesus called himself the Good Shepherd. You just wonder if, as they heard, we're, we're the shepherd that, that the message of John had, has, 
has reached them, and, and, and there's this fragments that they're writing, and, and they're talking about this man named Jesus who, like, my grandfather knew of, <laughs> heard this message that, that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that they are his. And now that is, Paul lets them know that, that wolves are coming, distorting the truth and luring away disciples, you better be ready. The confidence is rooted and that the good shepherd has given his life for the flock. Verse 28, let's reread it. It says this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which, and this is where our confidence in lies, which he purchased with his own blood. Our confidence, our confidence is rooted in the fact that Jesus paid for his church and his check won't bounce. The kingdom isn't going anywhere. That even as wolves come and all these false doctrines show up, yes, yeah, some people may walk away, but the kingdom ain't going anywhere. Elders, this is what Paul is saying. Elders, you didn't pay for this church. You didn't create this. And as I'm reading it, I receive the reminder that, Adam, Citizens Church is not yours. These are not your people. They're mine. It wasn't my blood that was poured out. It was the Lord's. And that brings about confidence for the elders. And it brings about confidence for me as I lead here. That Paul is not saying, you better lay down your life once again for the flock. He's saying, someone has already done that. And now you know what you get to do? You get to confidently steward the flock that the Holy Spirit has put you in charge of. And maybe you think, well, that sounds really good, but I'm not an elder here. (laughs) So what? I mean, so what? Because you know what a good elder does? Delegates. You know what good elders in Ephesus would have done? Said, hey, Jonah, like, I haven't seen them in a while. Will you go check in on them? A good elder would be like, hey, uh, Patrick, uh, Brianna, we're going to do communion. And, you know, you know, Silas, he didn't go get bread because he never remembers that. Like, can you go get something? And will you make sure that you tell everybody that we're doing this? A good elder delegates. And so don't think in here, well, I'm not an elder, so this isn't for me. Yes, it is. Are you noticing who's not here this morning? Do you notice folks' answers in your community group? Do you really hear them with the shepherd's heart that, man, you know, Adam just said this, and I think he's saying this, and he's reaching out for something like, could I be an encouragement to him? Guys, it requires all of us, right? It doesn't just take Adam. I need your help. And as I lead... Lord, help me lead well and delegate and, 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 and draw out leadership in you guys because it takes all of us. So who can you be investing in, bringing back to the flock? Who can you invite here? Who can you share the gospel with? Who can you encourage in community group with a simple text? Who can you be investing in? The mission requires kingdom-inspired confidence that what we are doing here, even when I am gone and Citizens Church is no more, that more church plants will pop up, more gospel work will continue to happen until the end of the age. There's, There's confidence in that, right? Like, I'm not the only one who's confident in that. Are you? Like, the flock isn't going anywhere. 
And as we close, we read this, verse 32, and it, it really draws our attention to others. And so Paul ends his speech with this, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, for you yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he said this, and as he said this, he knelt down and they prayed with all of them. And there were many tears shed by everyone, and they embraced Paul and they kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Gospel mission requires gospel-inspired intentionality. The mission requires spirit-led direction. Spirit-inspired direction. The mission requires kingdom-inspired confidence. And now as we close here, the mission requires others-inspired generosity. As Paul closes this down, he is letting them know that as I go, you are in charge of these people. And as you lead these people, you keep your eyes to the forefront. That as he leaves, he does not want to leave the church under-resourced. They have enough to deal with, right? Savage wolves are coming in. They don't need to worry about keeping the lights on or having enough, uh, enough food for communion to feed the sick or to feed the orphan or the homeless. This is what the church does. We use our resources for good. And Paul gives them this vision that you will lead this mission when you are others inspired, generous. That as you look not to the needs of your own, but to the interest of others. And then Paul, he's like, hey, you know, don't believe me. Jesus himself said it. <laughs> I didn't say this. Jesus said this. That it is better to give than to receive. I reminded you in the beginning that Christmas is only four months away. I think a lot of us in here as we mature, what, like, like what's, what's fun about Christmas now? Giving or receiving? Giving, right? I still want my presents. But, like, come on. It's fun to give, right? It's fun to give, and it's fun to watch people receive a gift that you gave them. And Paul is saying, look, at the end of it all, you look out for them. And as wolves are coming in here, they best not be worried about clothing on their back or food on their table. And yeah, churches will send you money. Don't worry. But Paul is saying, even, even I myself worked with my hands to support what was happening here. And so guys, I'm going to be really practical here as we close. Do you give financially to this church? Do you evaluate yearly how your giving can increase? The mission that we are talking about here, specifically at Citizens, operates solely on the giving of others. Guys, if you don't give, we don't keep these lights on. <laughs> And like I said, the kingdom's not going anywhere. The flock's not going anywhere. We just might have to shift to another church. <laughs> Do you give sacrificially to this mission? Guys, we need it. My honest ask is that if you are not yet giving regularly to citizens and you consider this your church, would you start? 
One of the quickest ways to grow in your relationship with the Lord is trusting Him with the resources that He has given you. There's no quicker way to grow in your relationship with the Lord than giving some money away. And it's not about your money. It's about your heart. That's what Paul's getting at here. Guys, it's n- elders, it's not about your money. But it's about your heart, where your treasure is. And are you generous? Inspired by the needs of others, are you generous? It takes money to keep the mission going. And in all of these things, it's not about us. It's about us. It's not about me. It's not one person being intentional. It's many people being intentional. It's not one person being led by the Spirit. It's all of us leaning into the Spirit, training the ears of our heart to hear the Spirit. It's not one of us being confident. It's all of us being confident and saying, hey, don't fret, because this isn't going anywhere. And God's getting you where you need to go. You are a part of this flock. And ultimately, it's not one person being generous. It's all of us. It's all of us being generous through the sacrificial gifts of this church and and through our our, our community care initiative and, and, and being able to give church plants money and say, what do you need? Just take it. Guys, it's, it's, it's not about you, and it's not on you. It's on us. It's on all of us together. And that is what Paul is saying to the elders here. As he leaves, and they cry, and they, they kiss him on the cheek, they recognize that he has taught them, but they're not going to see him this side of heaven. And so what is your next step? What is your next step? As you're being called to more, is your next step to send an encouraging text? Is your next step to to share the gospel? Ask the Lord to send one person into your your life this week that you can just, hey, do do you know Jesus? Like, do you do you have a minute so I can like share the like what he's done in my life? Is your next step to serve and recognize, hey, I need to hold a door? Is your next step to give? And you need to set up giving. Trust the Lord with your finances and resources. What is your next step? There's a myriad of things that it could be. And so as we sing this last song, um, as always, me and my wife, Emily, and a prayer team will be in the back of the auditorium ready to just pray for you, encourage you, speak life over you, and guide you in your next step. And so wherever you find yourself today, may we recognize that it is intentionality, it is confidence, It is spirit direction. It is generosity that fuels the mission. And all of us are on mission together. Amen.